Welcome to the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast. I'm Cheryl McColgan, founder of Heal, Nourish, Grow. The website, this show, and our newsletter all focus on making the science of advanced nutrition and greater overall health accessible to everyone. Buckle up for our latest episode to get ideas, tools, and practical knowledge you can use to improve your health and move towards your perfect version of ultimate wellness. The Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast shares interviews with nutrition experts, health researchers, and everyday people that have changed their lifestyle and nutrition to support greater health. You'll learn how to implement lasting change and create new habits that support greater wellness and a happier, healthier life. Please visit HealNourishGrowPodcast.com for full show notes and links to our guests. Dr. Clayton Bostock was drawn to naturopathic medicine because of its emphasis on empowering patients in their own healing process and its focus on utilizing nature's principles in health. From his first day in practice, it has been his passion to assist patients in creating an approach that is suited to their goals and needs while being safe and effective. With all his patients, Dr. Bostock takes the time to listen to their concerns, educate, connect dots where needed, and empower them with different options and treatments to reach their health goals in the shortest amount of time possible. Most patients are dealing with some combination of the following, fatigue, anxiety, digestive concerns, hormone-related issues, depression, and chronic pain. Regardless of the current symptoms, the goal is working as a team to uncover the underlying cause for why you're not feeling your best. Once this has been determined, then you can take steps to address these causes, not just fix your symptoms. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast. Today, I am really excited to share my guest with you, Dr. Clayton Bostock, coming to us from the cold tundra in Canada, uh, but he is looking nice and toasty there in his office. So welcome, Dr. Bostock. Really excited to talk to you today, particularly about um, a few of the things that you've been working on lately. You're into biohacking, much like myself, and circadian rhythm stuff. But first, I'd love for you to just... Kind of tell people a little bit of background in your own words, how you came to naturopathic medicine and, you know, what you're really passionate about at the moment. Yeah, thanks for having me, Cheryl. Um, Yeah, to answer that question kind of in a concise way, um, how did I get into this field? Uh, I was actually finished high school, never had kind of aspirations to be any type of healthcare provider, really didn't know what the heck I wanted to do. ended up just going to university. We call it more university up here rather than college down there, but um, ended up going to university, kind of followed in my older brother's footsteps for a while, did some business courses, just was not, just wasn't in it. It was just kind of going through the motions. Um, And then basically took some time off and then ended up coming back into university, doing a science or in sciences, um, but one of those uh, previous summer, I had worked with a girl who was in naturopathic medical school. She was in her second year and she was just like, really, it, she just really inspired me to look deeper into it. Um, just said, Hey, like there's way less males in this profession. We need more guys. Um, looked into it by the end of the summer, working with her, uh, just kind of had made up my mind. I'm like, I want to do that. And basically, I actually had had a previous experience with a naturopathic doctor. Um, It was like just an amazing experience. I thought it was really cool how he actually took some time to actually get to know me and what the heck was going on rather than just the five to seven minute visit. Um, So that was kind of how I fell into it. Uh, And then basically, yeah, from the time I entered back into university, 
I had my mindset on becoming a naturopathic doctor. So that was my dream. And I remember the day I got a call to actually just go for an interview at the school. Like it was just one of the, for me, I know it sounds very corny, but it's like, that was one of the coolest days of my life. Cause I'd worked so hard to get there. And then, yeah, now here I am kind of practicing that. And, uh, yeah, I love the, love the profession. It's not work. Uh, yeah. That's a really exciting way to get into it. Kind of almost like you did serendipitously kind of have it revealed to you what you were meant to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so you mentioned that, I think you mentioned a couple interesting things there, but the one that I repeatedly, cause I listen to a lot of podcasts myself and many of them are doctors, whether they're naturopathic or kind of more of a traditional, uh, MD. But the thing that I hear the most commonly is what you mentioned, the five to seven minute visit. And because naturopathic doctors are more focused on finding the root cause of problems, that would be very difficult to do in five to seven minutes. So can you kind of describe maybe some of the differences in your practice? And um, I'm assuming that there may, there's also obviously differences between the U.S. healthcare system and the Canadian healthcare system. Uh, but can you describe kind of how your practice works, how you were able to get more time with people, what that looks like that's maybe different than the traditional uh, way of, you know, meeting with doctors? Yeah, I mean, that's a long question, but uh, I'll, I'll try and package it up um, in some main points. Um, but first, I just want to say, like, I feel for family doctors. I really do. I feel like that would be frustrating. Um, I feel like they're overworked. Uh, I mean, I'm sure they're, help them. They're, they're certainly helping their patients, right? So a lot, most of them probably have really good hearts and want to help people. But I just feel like kind of that that model is just, it's kind of a prescription for burnout for those practitioners. Um, I've got a really good friend who's a medical doctor, brilliant guy, I really respect him. So I don't have any, you know, qualms or sort of um, bad things to say. Obviously, like healthcare consumers are frustrated with that type of model. Um, and I'm probably, and I'm sure, I, I think physician burnout's a huge thing, right? So the, the actual doctors are probably frustrated with the model too. But the way that I work um, is my my real passion is meta, is functional medicine consulting, and it's not just functional medicine, but basically I have a coaching practice where um, I take on people. Generally, it's it's more kind of complex chronic cases, cases where people have been to everyone else. Um, they've been to different, uh, they've been to different specialists, medical doctors, they've been to different alternative providers. Um, but basically what we do is we work a little bit more intensively, um, anywhere from three months or longer. And there's sort of a system that we're implementing and sort of steps that we're taking in a, a particular sequence um, to resolve these types of conditions. Generally it's people who have autoimmune conditions or just kind of like an unexplained fatigue or burnout. Um, and just, just working in that capacity with people, it allows me way more time with them. So we're generally, um, meeting anywhere from ev once every kind of 10 days to two weeks, spending an hour together. Um, my patients have kind of, there's some online modules that I have them run through for some really core stuff that most people need to implement. And then the time that I spend with them, um, that's really individualized for that particular patient. And I use a lot of functional lab testing to come to those kind of individual decisions that we do for each patient. So um, I hope that answers your question. Absolutely. And it speaks to the 
I mean, there's issues with the healthcare system in numerous ways, but I, I think that doctors like yourself, more naturopathic doctors and doctors that are kind of getting away from the insurance model are starting to change some of that and have the ability to work on some of these more complex cases because they have more time to work with their patients. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're not, and I think they're not that, dictated by insurance. Right. And I think that you mentioned in there as well, uh, one of the things that we were, there are a few things that there were the reason that we wanted to talk today, but one of them that you mentioned, a lot of your patients have fatigue and um, you mentioned some specialized testing. And I know it's different for everybody, but since that is kind of a common complaint of people um, fatigue, can you speak to number one, some of the types of tests that you might do to work with somebody that has fatigue to, to find that underlying cause? And number two, is there an underlying cause that you find to be the most prevalent um, when dealing with fatigue? I'll answer the second question first is, that is honestly, I'm going to say no, there's no common cause. There's patterns. Okay. But there's no, just again, kind of, I haven't really defined the individual thing, but everybody is so different in terms of just, you know, their lifestyle, their environment, where they're working, where they're living, their background, their habits, um, their nutritional status, the diet that they eat, their genetics, how their biochemistry is working. Um, so everybody's just like, look, if you look at me and you and me on the screen, we're completely different people just genetically based on just our phenotype or our looks, right? So mm -hmm. fatigue being the most common complaint that people have, it's never just one. Sometimes, I mean, if you're lucky, it's just one thing, but um usually it's kind of a combination of a bunch of different things at play. It can be nutritional. It can be lifestyle related. It can be their working shift work and they got really poor sleep patterns. They can have some hormonal issues over here. Um, they can have uh, just way too much stress in their life. They can have in just different infections going on. Um, so a whole bunch of different kind of things interplaying is usually what happens with fatigue and really any clinical complaint that's been going on for a long time. Um, in terms of the first question, I, already, I kind of forget what the first question was. If you could repeat uh, that. Any, t any tests that oh, you the typically testing. do okay. when somebody presents with fatigue, just so that yeah. people have a general sense of what you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some core tests, like in terms of functional, there's functional labs and then there's sort of like your routine types of labs. So it'll usually it's a combination of both of those. So sometimes in terms of just routine labs, well, what you want to do is, okay, if they've got some sort of hints that are going towards, they got a family history of thyroid issues or some thyroid like symptoms, you may want to do a full panel, not just a TSH. You may want to do a full panel. Um, other things looking at like iron metabolism, not just looking at a ferritin, looking at a bunch of different markers that give you a big picture on what's going on with iron. Um, those are some of the more standard labs. And then when I get into the functional things for most people, like pretty much every patient, I want to run a nutritional and a biochemical panel. So it'll tell you about your nutritional status, your fats, carbs, proteins, vitamins, minerals, amino acids. And then it looks at a bunch of different things within your biochemistry, uh, things like methylation. Um, not sure if you're familiar with that process. Well, methylation. I am a little bit, but can you maybe explain it uh, just a little broader for people that might've never heard that before? And yep. it don't really know what it is. Yeah. So methylation, if people may, people are probably more familiar with the um, specific SNP, uh, it's called MTHFR. 
If you love wine, you're going to love this giveaway. I've partnered with my friends at Dry Farm Wines to give away six bottles of natural wine to one lucky winner. All you need to do is join me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, or YouTube live on April 18th at 6 p.m. Eastern time. We'll be sharing all about why natural sugar-free wine is a healthier choice as well as answering your wine questions. Stay until the end where we'll ask for you to answer a question and you'll know the answer from having listened and participated in the event. You'll drop the answer in the comments and we'll randomly choose a winner from all the correct answers. If you just can't wait to see if you win or you'd like to have a glass of wine along with us, visit dryfarmwines.com slash grow to get your extra bottle of sugar-free wine for just a penny. If you'd like a reminder to join us, just visit bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash D-F-W-L-I-V-E, D-F-W live. And I'll remind you again, that's April 18th, 2022 at 6 p.m. Eastern time. So that's a, that's a becoming a bigger thing or has been in the last 10 years, a bigger thing kind of in our alternative health. Um, it's there's ties to toxicity, autism, depression, anxiety, those types of things. But methylation is a process in your body that it's involved in a lot of different things. It's involved in building and breaking down neurotransmitters. It's involved in the synthesis of hormones. It's involved in detoxification, immune function, turning genes on and off. Um, there's a whole bunch of things that methylation does. Um, and a lot of times that's a, going back to your original question, a lot of times that can be a fairly large, I see lots of people with methylation issues, not just testing their genes, but actually seeing how, marrying that with how you can see in their biochemistry, how well their methylation is working, if that makes sense to you. Um, so basically there's, there's some amazing tests out there where you can look at everything from nutritional, nutritional status to how the different biochemical pathways in your body's working to hormones, to toxicity, to gastrointestinal function. So it's kind of functional medicine isn't the only thing that I do, but it's a big part of my practice. Um, it's got a, there's a lot of like neat, really valuable tools and tests that you can use through functional medicine. And just for other people out there that might not be as familiar with this, for example, a, a many years ago, I took a test that was on ancestry.com that just kind of tells you a little bit about what origin what your origin story is, where are you from, where are your relatives in Europe or in Asia or wherever they happen to be. And based on that genetic testing, you can actually take that. It actually, they, they have your DNA, right? So they can, they can do a number of tests on them. They tend to do the basic ones. Um, but so for people that have had that, I've since taken that data and have uploaded it to a different service that does some of the tests that you're talking about, like gives your methylation status, um, tells you if you're more likely to gain weight or lose weight, whether you should have more fats or more carbs. And so they all have a little bit different way of interpreting it. And this is pretty basic. And I would say for people that are really interested in it, I would say definitely work with uh, somebody like Dr. Bostock, who is familiar with this, that knows how to interpret the results because the services just give you the basics and it might say, yeah, you, you do better with more protein, for example, but it's like, how do you implement that? And what does that really mean to your health is sort of a different story, but it is all very interesting testing. I think um, probably more interesting when you get to give the color to it to, with your knowledge. Yeah, um, it's super interesting. And, and there's a lot of um, different sort of, uh, 
companies out there like i think there's genetic genie one thing that i think one that i really like is it's self, joe cohen self-hack he's got a whole genetic um kind of software algorithm built up where you can look at different aspects of your health like you can plug in either your ancestry data or your 23andme data um but the one th the just the one thing i would caution is um just going back to like genes aren't the genes aren't the be all and end all either, right? Um, there, it's like the easiest example I could give you is I can't say you've got a family history. Somebody in the family has Alzheimer's, um, and there's they've identified some whatever the gene is for Alzheimer's. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that the children of that person or the grandchildren of that person, even if they have that gene, that one particular gene that increases your risk. That doesn't mean those people are doomed to develop Alzheimer's, right? They just have more of a propensity to develop it. And really the more important factor in a lot of these 21st century diseases like autoimmunity or uh, neurodegenerative diseases, it's more so about um, how you're living your life and your lifestyle and your environment and the choices that you're making, right? Um, uh, like if you, if you took two identical twins and one was a smoker ate fast food all day and was lived a sedentary lifestyle worked night shift all the time and then the other one had a completely just different lifestyle they're going to have two different outcomes later in life right at 50 years old the other guy the the first person could be diabetic metabolic syndrome tons of heart disease and then the other person could be and they've got very similar genes, right? So that's just kind of an example of how genes are important. They're data to take into consideration, but they're not uh, the be all and end all. No, excellent point. And I think to build on that, uh, people have heard me talk about this ad nauseum, but there is a, a ton of cancer in my family. And so that is one of the reasons that I choose to eat how I eat and to practice extended fasting on a regular basis to activate autophagy. Um, it, it's, but it doesn't have to be a death sentence, but it is good information to have, because if you know that, then there might be certain things that you want to do uh, more strongly in your health to try to offset some of that, at least as much as that's possible. Um, but to your point, environment is huge. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. We'd also love it if you could post a review on iTunes. It helps us so much by allowing others to more easily find us. The Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast wouldn't be possible without listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Now back to the show. And so why don't we talk a little bit about that now, since that was one of the topics that we wanted to get onto, something that you're passionate about is um, looking at a person's environment. So when you're working with people and you're kind of interviewing them about, let's leave whatever their complaint is aside, because that's sort of a separate thing, but what sorts of things are you looking for in someone's environment to give you clues uh, about how they might be able to improve their health? There's a number of them. And before I even go on this, uh, answer this question, I just want to give some credit to a couple guys that actually um, put me onto this, the importance of this in our health. Uh, two of those, one guy is, uh, his name's Dr. Jack Cruz. He's a neurosurgeon. He's got some pretty interesting content out there. He was the one of the first people that kind of um, uh, tipped me off on just how important this was. And then another um doctor down in Florida, Dr. Anthony Beck. Um, he's heavy, he heavily influential in, in the way that I look at things now in terms of medicine and environment. But basically, um, 
our environment. So lots of people want to talk about food and exercise and diet and all these things, which are super important mindset, those types of things. But the other thing is that uh, not a lot of people are really addressing or talking about is the environment and the factors that I'm sort of looking for, for people. And this is, this might sound a little bit out there for some people, but there's, there's six sort of factors. There's, there's air quality. So people don't realize just in the, the, in their local environments, in their homes, whether it's a brand new home or an older home or your work environment, there is a ton of air pollutants in there. Okay. And unless you're cleaning, you're, you're removing some of those sources or you're properly cleaning them. And I show patients like how to do that and which filters to use and whatever, but there is, you're breathing in either particulates, you're breathing in formaldehyde, you're breathing in volatile organic compounds. Those can be coming from just even your carpets, your furniture, uh, plastics, um, just all the cleaning products and air fresheners we're using. So there's a way to actually measure. There's meters that you can purchase, um, kind of entry-level meters that'll tell you how bad your air is, right? And then there's certain companies that make particular filters that are actually, you can measure it with the meter to see how much it's cleaned up the air. So air's, air's the first one, water, just a pretty much a no-brainer. You need to be drinking clean water. Um, I'll just say the water that I like patients to use is reverse osmosis water. It's the, it's the cleanest you can get. But you, the problem with reverse osmosis is it's too clean. There's no minerals in there. So you got to add in, you, you got to properly remineralize it. There's a couple of different ways you can do that. Um, light exposure is the next one. So this one's a little bit more um, unconventional, but light exposure has a huge influence on our biology and our wellness. So we, we just take it for granted. Okay. So the sun comes up in the morning and we go about all our daily activities and then the sun goes down at nighttime and then we just go into rest and repair mode. But um, we have so many risks from different types of light that people aren't even cluing in on these screens that we're talking on right now. Okay. There's, there's huge issues. Most people are familiar now with, okay, at nighttime, if I'm on my screen too much, it's like ruins my melatonin production. Well, there's a whole bunch of other risk factors with um, just even now, it's not just the screens, it's the energy efficient light that we've moved to. So a couple different things. If you can look this up, you look at the different spectrum. I wish I had a picture right now, but the spectrum of daylight natural daylight compared to an LED light or a CFL bulb or a uh, halogen or um, an incandescent, they're all completely different spectrums uh, compared to just natural daylight that we quote unquote un evolved under, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it's an alien spectrum that we're just not, we, we, we didn't um, evolve under essentially. Uh, and then the other issue is electric lights. They actually, we don't perceive this, but they flicker. They, they flicker like thousands of times per second. LEDs are probably the worst. Um, but just on the power grid that we have, they're flickering all the time. And that's actually, there are some health risks to that. The, how we learned about that was actually from helicopter pilots flying in back to wherever they were, the airport at kind of dusk when the sun was low the props basically caused flickering and it was like a seizure risk for helicopter pilots. So that's how we learned about something called the flicker effect, but you can look that up in terms of just our, the lighting we're using on a day-to-day -day basis. Again, it's flickering thousands of times per second, but our brain doesn't really, our brain perceives that, but we don't consciously perceive that. That's not, um, 
that is not natural light. And the book that I direct people f- towards for light is John Ott, Health and Light. It was written back in the 50s, and he did some very interesting work around just how the way we're lighting our environments impacts our health. And it's actually really fascinating. Um, the, the last environmental input is electromagnetic fields. So these things are unavoidable nowadays, but um, we're, we're kind of, we're saturated, our environments are saturated in them between wireless, you know, wearable tech, like I, I, I watches, earbuds, um, Bluetooth devices, Alexa, Google Home, um, our smart meters, Wi-Fi routers, all that kind of stuff. It's like, yes, I don't live under a rock. I use a cell phone. I use technology. But there is, um, there is ways you can mitigate your risks. And if you really want to take it far, there's ways where you can just almost eliminate a lot of that, at least bare minimum, from your sleeping environments. Um, so I know EMF is a controversial topic, but what are, how are safety standards are based are they're based on that that type of radiation doesn't heat your tissue and it doesn't ionize like an x-ray. Well, there are other biological effects that it does. And those just aren't acknowledged in how we set our, basically our exposure standards or limits. So those are some of the basically environmental things that a lot of people aren't, isn't on their radar. And people are like, they're doing everything right with their diet. They're taking amazing supplements. They're exercising. And some of these people are like, well, why am I still so sick? I'm I'm taking care of myself. But sometimes there's a little bit more you got to do in terms of, um, you know, reversing chronic symptoms or chronic illness. Yeah, it's amazing to me sometimes because I am so immersed in this world and, and listen to a lot of interviews on a weekly basis. And um, sometimes it can get to be a little overwhelming. You're like, well, I'm doing literally all of the things. Um, but I think that one of the things that you mentioned is probably slightly or slightly easier for people to do than they imagine. Actually, two of the things that you mentioned. The first one is in regards to the light. No matter what style of eating you choose, we're all looking for recipes that are quick and easy to make as well as delicious and healthy. And that was the goal for my first cookbook, which is available now at cookbook.healnourishgrow.com. I've got some more exciting news to share with you soon, but until then, enjoy those recipes and be looking for more of the same. And I think you um, touched on when I was reading your bio, your, a lot of your work, you're focused on circadian rhythm. So if we could maybe go back to the light factor, a lot of the people that I've been listening to have talked about the importance of really getting that morning light on your bare eyes, no sunglasses or anything, just to kind of signal to your body, um, you know, that it works on the circadian rhythm. Hey, it's, it's morning, it's daylight now. Can you talk about some of those maybe little simple tricks and biohacks that people could implement that aren't overwhelming, that aren't overly taxing, but that could potentially make a big impact on circadian rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just say some of the stuff that I've already covered, like I, I explain it in a way that sometimes it seems complicated, but some of this stuff is actually quite easy to do. Um, so there's, there's different levels of where you can take that type of stuff. Right. But uh, in terms of circadian rhythm, I'm going to tell you, in my opinion, I don't believe that you can become fully healthy unless you have a, you've got proper circadian syncing or proper circadian rhythm. 
um, because basically what you can do is you can do this right now. You can look and type into a Google box. You type in whatever your condition is. If you got depression, type in depression and circadian rhythm, whole bunch of research comes up. If you got autoimmunity, type in autoimmunity and circadian rhythm, whole bunch of research comes up. Same thing with diabetes or any type of neurodegenerative disease or what you mentioned earlier, cancer. Okay. So it's a vital component. Um, basically circadian rhythm is it controls the timing of all our physiology and biology. So if that stuff is off and out of sync, your body just isn't going to function properly. Your hormones aren't going to work, your digestion, um, just all the different complex things that go on in your body aren't going to work in the right timing and sync. But in terms of practical steps that people can do, um, yeah, you kind of hit the nail on the head. So I'll just give you kind of the take homes is at nighttime, minimal two hours before bed is you need to get a good pair of blue blocking glasses. Not the, not the clear ones that people are selling just for screen use. They need to be kind of an amber or reddish color. Okay. From, from a light, it's kind of like an orangish. There, there's a spectrum there, but they need to be orange or amber colored and wearing those, you know, Two hours, I, I tell my patients two hours before bed. Um, some people, if you really want to dial it in, you do it at sunset. If you want to follow nature's kind of cycles. Um, the second step is you need to sleep in total darkness. Okay. You need, it's not just light through your eyes, even ambient light coming off, you know, from the light post outside or your neighbor's house or whatever, even that ambient light coming through your blinds or the crack in your blinds you have what are called photoreceptors on your skin. It's called melanopsin under kind of in the fatty tissue under your skin. And that can actually sense um, light and have an influence on your melatonin production. So completely dark room. And then step three is in the morning before you expose yourself to any other type of light, don't turn on your lights in your bedroom or don't look at your phone. What you do is step outside on your deck, poke your head out the front door, and just try and get some natural daylight through your eyes. Cause what that does is that sets the part of your brain that controls your timing. It sends a signal there and it's like, it tells the rest of the body, Hey, it's morning time. Now it's time to wake up. It's time to get the cortisol increasing. Now it's, we're going to be eating pretty soon. So it starts to wake up all those daytime functions. Um, and basically throughout the day, I tell people, hey, get out. If you got a break at work, get outside for five, 10 minutes, take your sunglasses off, get out and get some natural daylight through your eyes. Um, and then that kind of circles us back around to nighttime. At nighttime, no, no artificial light. So, or, or sorry, no artificial light through the eyes. So again, around two hours before bed is when you want to be blocking that blue light or two hours or more. And you would be surprised, like I would tell you sleep problems, you can resolve most sleep problems by doing those simple three steps. Lots of people just don't want to do it. Um, sometimes sleep gets a little more complicated with hormonally if people are just like insanely stressed out or um, say women perimenopausal or menopausal, that can be a little more hormonally based, but you can still improve sleep in a massive way. I don't care what age range you are by doing those three steps that I just said. Yeah, those are some wonderful practical steps. And I can just attest to all of those myself. I, I have a couple of good resources with discounts for those. Um, I use a really quality pair of the amber blue blockers at night. Um, I also got a sleep mask that's fully blackout. It has these cups that go yeah. around your eyes and it yeah. works amazing. 
And I can tell a huge difference when I wear them versus don't because those little ambient lights in the bedroom, we have an air filter in our bedroom for the other reason that you mentioned for air quality um, that has a little light on it. it. I finally got one that has a button that you can turn that light off, which is great. But then we have, you know, if you've got your cell phone charge in your bedroom, which you probably shouldn't, <laughs> then there's that light or there's the light on our alarm. So there, there's just a lot of little weird sources of that stuff that people don't think of. And it seems like it's too small to significantly affect your sleep. Um, but I can definitely attest once I started putting those things into practice, um, the one that I'm the most lazy about, but the most aware that I need to change is to what you said about getting your eyes in the sunlight in the morning as quickly as possible. Um, that's just something I've started to kind of learn more about and focus on more lately. So those are all wonderful tips. Um, maybe we could go to the other uh, thing that I've heard a lot in relation to circadian rhythm lately, and that is syncing your nutrition and your eating times with circadian rhythm. Um, is that something that you've heard much about or that you focus on, or do you have any tips around the timing of meals um, as far as circadian rhythm and feeling better? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's another, so light, temperature, and food timing are kind of the three main things that, that influence circadian rhythm. Um, I'm not, I agree with the food stuff. I'm not too, too picky on that. I just tell people don't be eating later than, say, 7.30 and 8 are kind of my cutoff limits, because, yeah, certainly eating late is going to mess up that whole timing, um, whether you're dealing with the light issue or not. Um in terms of like eating windows, I don't like to get too um, restrictive around that. Like I've personally experimented and done it with patients, like a 10 hour eating window. And I find it's like, oh, wow, like my digestion's working better. Um, you know, my energy levels are just more stable because there is a, there's an impact on insulin sensitivity for some of that intermittent fasting or those fast or those eating windows. Um, but yeah, I just, my kind of rule of thumb is, if you're kind of eat when it's light out, right? Eat during the day. Don't be eating at night. I mean, yes, uh, where we live and where you live, it's like, okay, it's getting dark at 4.30 or 5. It's like, well, you can stretch that one out a little bit. You don't have to eat just when the sun's out. You don't have to be rigid about that. But just kind of rule of thumb is, yeah, like don't eat too late. Try and eat, you know, um, when it's light out, essentially. Other, obviously, people are experimenting with like, you know, delaying their breakfast and that type of thing. Um, I don't really use that with the patients that I see because I don't feel like, I feel those people have to be nourished. I don't want to restrict them too much. Um, but certainly there's other people uh, in different levels, different places in their health where they can push those limits a little bit more. Um, and, and I'd also recognize that, yes, there's, there's a lot of health benefits to doing that, like doing that intermittent fasting and delaying your breakfast till whatever time in the day. But uh, I think that's a context-dependent thing. No, that's a great point, and it makes a lot of sense because if you have someone that is dealing with some some significant health issues, um, obviously you want them to be well-nourished. You don't want them to be pushing the envelope on things before they're actually healthy. Um, for those of us that are more in the biohacking community and that are already healthy, those are more things that are kind of just like a an extra plus bonus to do, <laughs> not necessarily when you're working through some serious health problems. Yeah. Perfect. Um, well, I guess before we move on, I want to get this in there right now so that I don't forget. And then we'll have kind of any final thoughts that you have that we didn't touch on yet. But one of the things I'd like to really share with people is 
where are the best places to find you? Or do you have a social media presence? Do they go to the, your website? Other ways to learn more about you and what you do? Yeah, so I've got a website. It's just www.drclaytonbostock.com. Um, I'm pretty active over on Instagram, especially in my stories. Um, I've got actually two accounts, but my main one is just Dr. Clayton Boss or at Dr. Clayton Bostock ND. Uh, I used to be really active on my personal Facebook profile. I got a lot of writing on there. Um, so that's something you can do. You can friend request me. It's just uh, Clayton Bostock. I uh, do have a Facebook business page. Don't use that one. But those are the best places to kind of follow me. Um, like I said, Instagram is probably where I'm the most active right now. Okay, awesome. And for any final thoughts, I mean, we've kind of covered several different things at this point, but anything that you're really passionate about lately or some maybe some common uh, issues or problems that you're seeing with your patients, especially in light of kind of the crazy world in the last two years, you know, any final thoughts or advice or uh, practices that you would recommend that people do to kind of deal with these crazier times that we've been having? Crazier times, I would say like just a lot of people are like, okay, well, what list of supplements can I take for my immunity? But um, I mean, this isn't so much for people in the biohacking world because they've already got these things dialed. But it's just like, okay, well, let's like just the stuff we talked about earlier. Like, is your circadian rhythm proper? Like, are you getting good regenerative restful sleep? Are you waking rested? Uh, are you drinking like clean, good, clean, properly mineralized water? Um, what's your environment? Like those types of things. Just a lot of people kind of in the general public don't have those things dialed first and those foundational things for health before they're looking for all these supplements to take. And I just feel like those things are um, massively more important and going to create better outcomes than, you know, taking a bunch of zinc or, um, you know, a bunch of astragalus or whatever type of immune support you're doing, right? Mm. Um, the only other kind of like closing point I'd like to finish on is just that uh, they're you know this, you probably see it on social media, is there's so much information coming at us all the time and so many neat, there's neat, cool things that people are doing. Um, but just kind of remind people, and it's just sort of what I said at the beginning of this, is that everybody is an individual. So you might see one person doing amazing eating, you know, a carnivore type of template. And then over here, there's a person doing awesome on a plant-based or vegan type of template. And then another guy up here who's doing a ton of biohacking and it's working for him. It's just, just recognizing that, you know, what works for somebody else isn't always going to work for you and you are an individual. Um, and there are actually ways to kind of hone in a little more precisely and see what your needs are in terms of an individual. And that's, that's the type of medicine that I like to practice and the type of principles that I like to just instill in people and recognize. Yeah. Awesome point. Cause it's, you know, we do live in the information age and there's so many things out there, but I think two of the things you said, number one, get your foundation in order, work on yeah. the basics, good sleep, less stress. You know, those are such underrated sources of not only disease, but just everyday malaise and getting those basics really nailed down before you start doing all the crazy biohacking is, is probably the best place to start. Um, so again, Dr. Bostock, thank you so much for your time. And I hope that people will get in touch with you. By the way, do you do any telemedicine practice if people want to work with you? Yeah, actually, a lot of my patients are kind of from all over North America. So the majority of um, that practice is telemedicine. 
Okay, fantastic. Awesome. So be sure to get in touch with Dr. Bostock if you want to work on any of these issues. And um, thanks again. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks for having me. This has been the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast. Again, I'm Cheryl McColgan, founder of Heal, Nourish, Grow. You can find show notes for this episode at healnourishgrowpodcast.com. If you have feedback on today's episode or questions about the content, please email us at podcast at healnourishgrow.com. We'd love to hear from you. Be sure to sign up for our email list at healnourishgrow.com and subscribe to the show with your favorite podcast player so you never miss an episode. Join us next time for more information that helps you live your best and healthiest life. Thanks for listening. Content on the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast does not constitute medical advice. Content contained in the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast is not intended as medical diagnosis or treatment. Neither the company nor its owner, Heal, Nourish, Grow, LLC, nor any of the company's employees, agents, or guest speakers provide medical advice. The content provided on Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your medical provider with any questions about what health practices are right for you.